welcome to the Purpose Inspired Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Visser, and this season is based on my book, Thriving, The Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society, and the Economy. Let's get to it. The Great Reset To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate, and every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed. In short, we need a Great Reset of capitalism. Klaus Schwab, it's time for a great reset of capitalism. Klaus Schwab captured a unique moment in history in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic when he called for a great reset. A crisis is the perfect moment to bring about fundamental change, and the bigger the crisis, the bigger the opportunity. The coming decade will be a time of rebuilding, similar to the periods after the 20th century world wars. This is our chance to build back better, to use another political slogan, to reshape the world and its economy to be fairer and more inclusive, while reversing the catastrophic breakdown of the climate and natural systems on which we depend. These are noble intentions, but for them to be anything more than political rhetoric, we will need a clear lodestar to guide us on our journey and we will need a way to test our progress and hold our leaders accountable. I present thriving as that guiding light and show how the science of living systems gives us a set of criteria against which to measure success. I look at what's not working today, where our global systems are breaking down, and how these can serve as triggers for societal transformation. Thriving When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else. One fancies a heart like our own must be beating in every crystal and cell. John Muir, My First Summer in the Sierra A Dream Come True As I looked out of the window of the small nine-seater twin-propeller plane, What I saw filled me with an indescribable sense of joy, stretching from horizon to horizon, for as far as my eyes could see were vast swathes of uninterrupted tropical rainforest. This was a dream come true. I was flying over the Amazon region of Ecuador from the town of Macas to Sapapenza, a community of 300 indigenous Ashwa people, living in a remote part of the jungle near the border with Peru. We were visiting the area in 2014 as part of a sustainable development program organized by my friend and colleague Roberto Salazar. Our day trip to Sapapenza was at the generous invitation of the Ashwa president, Jaime Vargas, who was also subsequently elected as president of the Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities of Ecuador. 
As we touched down on the rudimentary landing strip, we found the community already assembled under a large open-air pergola. Without delay, President Vargas and the leader of the community took their seats on chairs opposite each other in the middle of the assembled group. Both looked impressive in their regalia of face paint and brightly coloured feathered headdresses. The community leader also had a symbolic rifle lying across his lap, a symbol of his role as protector. They entered into a melodic call-and-response greeting, passing on news and asking and granting permission to enter the community, all while drinking chicha, a sour-fermented brew, from patterned bowls made from clay. In a gesture of hospitality, bowls of chicha were also passed around to each of us as guests. This is a community that understands thriving. They are living in harmony with nature and its cycles, surrounded by the forest and living almost entirely from what it produces for their shelter, food and well-being. At the time, they were also engaged in a protracted battle to protect the forest from mining interests. For them, digging for metals or drilling for oil is sacrilegious because the forest is a living being, a physical manifestation of the spirit Arutam. I do not want to romanticize the situation. As idyllic as this sounds, the Ashwa are not stuck in time or disconnected from the wider world. Our visit was not a performance for tourists or a public relations exercise. The president was there to listen to the needs of his people. Their most immediate request was to have a road built, which would allow them to get forest produce, such as the delicious star apple fruit, to the national and international market. It still takes as many as 12 days by foot and boat to reach the nearest road. The Ashwa live in traditional housing made from timber, and have some basic facilities already, including electricity from solar panels and a small information centre which connects them to the internet. They wear western clothes and have a school and dusty sports field where they play football and equivolley, a national variation of volleyball. But they want to continue developing. I tell the story of the Ashwa people of Sapapenza because... It is a microcosm of the struggle for thriving. The Ashwa are fighting to preserve the regenerative capacity of nature, knowing that they depend on the environment for their physical and spiritual well-being. They remain unimpressed by the rags-to-riches promises of extractive companies, but at the same time the community is income poor and lacks access to basic health services. There are no clinics or medical professionals in their village, and any emergency cases have to call on the flying doctor. We can learn a great deal from the Ashwa about natural thriving and social thriving practices, such as inclusion and equality. But they still need economic regeneration and are missing some elements of social regeneration, such as community health. The challenge is to pursue these without sacrificing nature and eroding the solidarity that is at the heart of their beautiful culture. Seeing the forest for the trees. Choosing life and living over death and decay is the essence of thriving. Thriving is about working with rather than against the complex living systems of which we are a part. 
Thriving means taking the time and making the effort to understand the many interconnections between the parts and always asking who or what part of the system is benefiting or suffering as a result of our actions. Thriving is allowing nature, society and the economy to all flourish together rather than trading off one against the other. And ultimately, thriving is about making sure that life on Earth, in all its glorious diversity, not only survives, but also fulfills its vast potential. In some ways, thriving is the new sustainability. Sustainable development will not disappear, not least because the Sustainable Development Goals run until 2030, but sustainability as an idea, just surviving and enduring, has always been rather uninspiring. Besides, it is frequently misused by business and government. Sustainable economic growth is a favorite mantra. In contrast, thriving is a much more exciting idea, and it's not new. Thought leaders such as Paul Hawken, Michael Braungart, Bill McDonough, and John Elkington, among others, have been vocal advocates of thriving for years. Hawken is also a new book, called Regeneration, that I highly recommend. The difference now is that we're starting to see science-based applications emerging, such as regenerative agriculture and restorative design. To understand thriving, we need only look to nature. Take forests, for example. Without trees, there are no forests, yet forests are so much more than trees. Forests are complex living systems but they also serve as a good metaphor for systems thinking. When we say we can't see the forest for the trees, what we mean is that we're too zoomed in and focused on the parts, the individual trees, to appreciate the larger whole, the forest. In fact, as humans, we are often spectacularly bad at seeing or understanding the bigger picture. We lack the necessary perspective, which requires zooming out and noticing how everything is connected to everything else, not only in space, but also in time. The forest is not just a collection of trees. It is a web of relationship between trees and countless other organisms and natural forces. Even when we look at the whole forest, we are missing much of what makes it work as a living system. For instance, when you dig into the world of mycorrhizae, fine hair-like filaments of fungus that attach themselves to the roots of plants and trees, a whole other world exists. These mushroom fibers reach out hundreds or thousands of times the length of each tree root, sourcing water and essential nutrients for the plant. They also form a vast underground communications network, which has been called the wood wide web that allows trees to alert one another to threats and provide intensive care to ailing trees or vulnerable offspring, much like an intravenous drip supplying nutrients. Everything that surrounds and connects us. When we think in systems, our perspective changes. Imagine a tree in an orchard. How do we ensure a bountiful crop of sumptuous fruits? The secret is to create an environment that enables the tree to flourish. Fertile soil, regular water, protection from diseases, shelter from the elements, and enough sunshine. 
Similarly, when it comes to nature, society and the economy, thinking in systems encourages us to create enabling environments for all life to flourish. The environment is literally everything that encircles us. The word is derived from early 17th century Old French, meaning circle. When it was introduced into the English language in 1828 by Thomas Carlyle, he elaborated the concept to mean the aggregate of the conditions in which a person or thing lives. The environment comprises nested living systems, including people and all other organisms, as well as their complex and dynamic relationships, the incredible web of life. The notion of living systems being nested is a bit like a Russian doll, where inside each doll is another smaller doll. Similarly, each system exists within another system. In fact, all of life is characterized by nested webs. Cells join together to form organs and other biological systems, which make up our human bodies. We group together into social systems, such as families, communities, organizations, cities, countries and societies. And we are all part of Earth's dynamic, self-regulating ecological systems. At a macro level, we can see that the economy is nested within society, which itself exists within and is entirely dependent on nature. Seeing the whole system means recognizing the Earth itself as a living, self-regulating organism, which is what NASA scientist James Lovelock proposed in 1979, calling it the Gaia hypothesis, after the Greek goddess of the Earth. At first glance, this is an audacious idea, but the science of complex living systems has continued to develop and the evidence is increasingly compelling. In the same way that microorganisms contribute to our body's health and sometimes its demise, we too must decide whether we are a species that is good for the Earth's health or more like a deadly parasite or an infectious virus. Understanding thriving, rooted in systems thinking, is deceptively easy and fiendishly difficult at the same time. When I first encountered system science, it wasn't called that and I didn't yet know how it could be applied in practice, but I knew I had discovered something potentially world-changing. It came to me by way of Jan Smuts, a South African statesman and naturalist philosopher who wrote a book in 1926 called Holism and Evolution, in which he claimed to have found nothing less than the ultimate synthetic, ordering, organizing, regulative activity in the universe, which accounts for all the structural groupings and syntheses in it. Smuts began by critiquing the prevailing view of science, the legacy of Isaac Newton's clockwork universe, which held that a system can be understood by reducing it to its component parts. Smuts saw this reductionistic view of reality, which he called mechanism, as a fixed dogma in which there could be no more in the effect than there was in the cause, hence creativity and real progress became impossible. By reducing nature to an aggregation of dead parts, science was missing the living holes that make up the complex web of life.
Well, that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join me again next time when the story of thriving continues. Just a reminder that if you don't yet have your copy of Thriving, you can get it at any retailer as an ebook, an audiobook, or a hardback. You may also be interested in the Thriving podcast, where I speak with uh, various thinkers and practitioners of thriving and regeneration. You can find that by searching on your favorite podcast platform for Thriving the Breakthrough Movement. And finally, you might be interested in becoming a thriving facilitator. If that sounds interesting to you, then do reach out and I can send you more information or you can find it on my website, wayneviser.com. That's it for now and we'll see you again next time. Hope you have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.